Will there be autonomous car? Yes, there will right. be autonomous car in 2030 that will happen. Will be used interchangeably the cyber world and the real world that we can interlace on top of each other? Absolutely yes. Will we have robots that will potentially act as social companions? Yes. Will we have agents and algorithms that will work on our behalf? Yes. So kind of think about this as a yeah. personal operating system. And finally, the cities, like cities are going to move from being just smart to sentient. That means it's very similar to what... Another Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today I have the privilege of being joined by two amazing subject matter experts. I'm going to introduce them separately. Firstly, I'm joined with Amit Mita. Amit, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, Amit's the president of Asia Pacific and Japan, or APJ, uh, for Dell Technologies, and also uh, heads up the global digital cities uh, uh, part of the business. Um, Great to have you here. Thank you very much for making time. Now, we're going to dive into a few of the areas of your responsibility and also some of your amazing uh, background and accolades in a second. Uh, but let me just introduce Luke. Luke, thanks for joining us. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Luke, you're the Chief Information Officer for uh, Melbourne Airport. Uh, quite an amazing, challenging role. You've got good broad shoulders. Looks like you're capable of carrying that. Um, and uh, reading some of your background, you, you have quite a transformational role. It looks like this is a job that not a case of just turning up on Monday and it's the same every day. This is every single day is a new challenge, right? I imagine a day in the life of Luke Halliday is, is something new and exciting to jump out of bed every day with. Absolutely. So the, the role is definitely requiring a blend of technology and commercial experience and, I, and my day can be quite diverse. Well, we're going to get into that in a minute. So let's start with you, Amit. I mean, maybe if we can just quickly get a bit of brief uh, summary of kind of uh, what a day in the life of, of your role is like, because you've got quite a broad role in that... Uh, President of uh, Asia Pacific and Japan, as far as Dell Technologies goes, one big challenge. And then you've also got the whole global digital city space. So maybe let's just talk about what a day in the life of the president of Dell Technologies is like as far as uh, what your remit covers. Yeah, I think the, this is uh, no, no a single day looks like the other. So if I think about it, I divide my day into three different areas. How much time I'm spending on strategy, how much in operations, how much on people. Typically, you know, you can't balance perfectly every day, but over a month, I typically spend 40% of my time into strategy planning and, and, and uh, you know, and the operations and customers goes another 30, 35% and rest is with the, uh, with the people side. So right. um, just travels a lot, you know, uh, pretty much I spend, I, I calculated last year I had, I had 20 hours in the plane every week. Wow! Yes, that's so, ridiculous. That's so that's that's kind of puts it in challenge. And when you're looking at the, the 500 digital cities across the world, and looking at the region with the 30 plus countries, and plus the headquarter being in uh, in US, it just puts a lot of strain on uh, on your travel schedule for sure. Well, good thing we've got people like Luke keeping Absolutely. the airports so, and airplanes in the air. The other side of what you do, as far as global digital cities go, give us a little insight into kind of what that that covers. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, my responsibility is to help uh, cities take technology, take digitization as a way to innovate. Um, cities also have a, a have a cycles. They innovate and they prosper or they, they, they wither and die if they actually don't get the right talent living or if they don't have a great place to, to, to live and work. You can see Detroit, you can see San Gimiano in Italy, which was the top city in Europe in sixth century and nobody even knows about today. So, so the cities are saying, how do I get myself ready for the next stage of growth on a global digital data era? And that's what the digital city is all about. So I, I, my objective is to create the offers, do R&D, create ecosystem, um, help cities create the roadmap for digitization and really help them implement. Luke, you, you've got a diverse role, as we highlighted, and the chief information officer uh, has the, sort of the day-to-day -day operational piece. But when you think about an airport, I mean, these, these as, as this conversation is going to lead through, are in many ways little cities, aren't they? I mean, you've got, from my experience, uh, having had a bit of background in, in this space as well, you've got uh, three elements as far as I know. You've got the car park, you've got the retail and the businesses running in the airports, plus the business of landing and taking up airplanes. Uh, what, is there such a thing as a normal day? What does a day in the life of Luke Halliday look like uh, under the remit of CIO of Melbourne Airport? So, look, the remit was really to come in and help set up a technology function that can deliver the services and support that the business needs through growth. Um, so if you think about right now, we have around 500,000 travellers a day moving through the airport, and we're expecting that to double by 2038 to around a million a day. Wow. Um, 
And obviously, there's a huge piece for technology to play in enabling that to happen. Um, our CEO has a big focus on our customer experience. As you mentioned, there's airlines, there's retailers, there's property tenants. Um, but then we've got the traveller who yeah. shifts between primarily the airline's customer, but they move through other parts of the airport and are touching with other providers. Um, and all of us are trying to deliver a great traveller experience. As an airport, our management is kind of like a council. So we're coordinating a number of service providers, cleaners, security, all with the aim of delivering a safe, secure and hassle-free journey through the airport. Um, so that means my job is to ensure that we've got all of the right systems in place, we're delivering services to our customers, we're collecting the data and the information we need to improve the traveller experience, and we're delivering to our business users the applications and tools that they need to do their job, which for me translates into a pretty diverse day. I try and start my days with a couple of hours free in the morning just to react and respond to right. what's coming for yeah. the day. Um, first thing I do is check my schedule, make sure I have the information I need for any meetings that I have. If I don't, I make some phone calls. Um, and then deal with people going around meeting. We're doing a lot. So the remit's huge. I can't do everything. So I spend my time meeting with the people I've got in the business, doing those activities, asking questions, and deep diving where I need to. Uh, it sounds amazing. I, I can't even imagine how you tackle every single day as well as keeping the long-term strategy. Talking about strategy, one of the things that I really wanted to cover today in our conversation with this, this amazing report you've done recently um, uh, titled Future of Connected Living, uh, the, the whole topic of augmented humans in a network world. Now, I know you did an amazing report recently uh, with, uh, I believe it was the Institute for the Future. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if we could maybe uh, dive into some of the detail around that. Uh, firstly, give us a little bit of background on how this came about. What, what drove uh, yourself and the team and, and I guess Dell Technologies to, to even just sit down and think about producing a report around this and, and start doing this research? So, you know, we always come across a lot of buzzwords, right? I mean, digital transformation became the buzzword a few years back, and we published a report about, you know, how, how, how much digital transformation is taking hold in different countries, different customers, and who is like digital leaders, who is a laggard. So, you know, we, we kind of saw that the, you know, 10 to 15% of customers were leaders and about 10% were laggards and rest in between. Things have been shifting on the right, but what we also felt is that still is not enough. That is right. suggest as if it's here and now. What we felt like is we have to paint a picture of where things are likely to be, not where things are and what the offer is. Instead of moving from Dell has this offer for you, we have to say, what are the things we ourselves are concerned about? Come as a company, 2030, we're not trying to build a company for today. We're trying to build a company for decades and these are the things that affect us as a company, yeah. but also affects our customer. It affects our people. It affects our strategy. So, so we felt it's important to say 2030 is a good benchmark. It is something that will be built on our shoulders. You know, it is in our lifetime it will happen. Again, we, nobody can predict how long they're going to live, but Indeed. it's uh, in general, in, probabilistically, it's going to be, we're going to see it um, in our lives. And so we felt it was the right time frame and, and we should publish something that kind of lays out what things are likely to be. Well, I, I do like the fact that organizations uh, like Dell Technologies taking this long-term view because I think there has been a, a lot of very short gain view in, in the business and tech industry space for too long. And now we're sort of in many ways paying the price for that. We see you know, the problem we've got the plastics and oil and other things and we've got pollution. And there's a whole range of challenges the world's facing now that are quite insurmountable in many ways. I mean, we've got whole nations shipping the, the, the you know, old trash, like old computer gear back saying, no, we, we can't take anymore, right? So we've got to now start to look beyond what is the quick term. A couple of the things that I really loved when I read about the emerging technologies uh, that are shaping our lives in, in 2030, which is a lot of the focus of the report, um, you talked about pervasive sensors around the whole topic of the Internet of Things. Mobile edge computing, which I think you know, we've, we've seen in many ways with the fact we've got a, a computer in our pocket every day. We just haven't necessarily realized that. Uh, and we can't copy all the data to the data centers all the time. I remember mm. doing the math on the, uh, this, Luke, you'll find this interesting. Turns out there's 87,400 flights every day domestically in the US. 
uh, when the Boeing 787 came out, there were about 6,000 sensors in its sort of pre-IoT. When we looked at the amount of data they collected, in the very first version it was about half a terabyte. The latest release of the software in those is about 2.5 terabytes. When you do the math of half a terabyte times 87,400, it's, it's, it's about 40 petabytes of data a day, right? But when they upgraded the software, it became 220 petabytes a day. We physically couldn't copy it off the planes, we couldn't copy it into a data center, we had to do something different. It became uh, edge computing. Uh, 5G, which is on everyone's lips, but often in the telco space and voice and data, but really I think when 3GPP set out to set up the standard, it was mostly around the non-telco space of sensors, smart and dumb. Artificial intelligence, which we hear a lot of, but I think today I'd like to sort of talk about where machine learning is being used more than necessarily the, the Terminator 2000 artificial intelligence that we see in movies. And the one that I really loved, which uh, I actually talked to my son about, because uh, he and I used to chase the Pokemons around the street when I saw that big pivot happen of, you know, this gaming company Pokemon decided they couldn't beat everyone else in the console space, what were they going to do? They pivoted to putting the game in the real world and used existing handsets in the form of phones. So they, they didn't have to do anything but write software and there it was. Um, and you call it extended reality, which I really mm -hmm. like, which is augmented reality and virtual reality in the immersive mm -hmm. media. Um, Underpinning all this, what could you tell us about some of the technologies that, that Dell, Dell Technologies brings to this challenge? Because, I mean, there's a broad range there. So maybe we should start with IoT. I mean, mm -hmm. I know you've got a range of interesting products that have come out recently that, uh, that meet the space. Give us a yeah. little insight into some of the technologies that are playing out here. Yeah, so I think first and foremost, there will be a lot of technologies that we know of and will be forthcoming. The first thing I will tell you is what defines this new era, so to speak, is the data. Right. Uh, i give you an example. In 2007, the, all the cellular, cellular companies in U.S. transmitted or carried about 87 petabytes of data. Right. It, it doesn't look feel like a lot, but that's 2007. Mm. Now, they carry that much data in 18 hours. Wow, Think about less it. than a day. That's a 52,000 times in just 12 years. Okay. And now if you just look one decade ahead, in, in, in fact, watch before 2030, they will transmit all that in 10 minutes. So just, is just it gives you the, yeah. the, the sense of what's happening in this industry. Because all of these things, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it's a multi-cloud, whether it's a edge computing, all of that will create more data. And ultimately data is the new currency that, 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 that is exciting. Indeed. Whether it's the sensors, we'll create more data, it's edge, 5G, everything is about more data. So, so to me, it just gives you a sense. I give you another example of how, how revolutionary this time is. In many ways, people may or may not realize this is wild, wild west of the data era. Uh, MasterCard, one of our customers, is processing 270 million transactions per hour. And, and each transaction has a risk of you know, if you take, um, if you if you approve a transaction that is fraud, banks are not happy, and if you do not approve a transaction that is genuine, your customer is not happy, Indeed. right? So you have to manage alpha and beta risk. So to solve that, they have defined one and a half million rules that they must process for every transaction instantly. Instantly, <laughs> they have to return back to the terminal in milliseconds. They have to manage the alpha and beta risk. They have to process 200 million transactions per hour, which, by the way, in three years, they think it will be a billion transactions per hour. And each transaction requires 1.5 million rules and growing. Wow. Just, just the magnitude of processing all of this. So if you saw the data as a, as a size in the transportation problem from the mobile yeah. network, now think about companies that have built the businesses on the data not from harnessing consumer data that many of the consumer companies have. These are genuine data-driven business models that will stay, but they are growing exponentially. No other company can say my transaction volume will go 3x in three years, you know, and my rule number of rules probably go from one and a half million to five million rules. So this is a brave new world. This mm -hmm. is the people who can harness this data as a currency will have uh, exceptional riches, so to speak. No, I can imagine. Look, you, I mean, you're in a fairly unique um, part of the world in, in, in airports, as we spoke. I mean, there are many cities. I mean, when we think about smart cities and sentient cities, this is really kind of where that your world's going to go, in my mind. We've seen the amazing work done by the likes of, uh, let's say, uh, Changi Airport in Singapore. We've seen uh, what's happening with the airports in London around Heathrow. I mean, I've heard anecdotes where associates of my own 
will jump on the train and go to one of the terminals in Heathrow and do their shopping because uh, it's closer and more convenient uh, and, and the train goes straight there. And I thought to myself, this is, this is a whole new world I hadn't imagined. But some of the technologies that we were just talking about now uh, and, and that I mentioned, I mean, IoT is a no-brainer. You've got some of the biggest Internet of Things flying in and out every day and, and they're full of sensors. But you've got this blend between the consumer space and the industrial space, haven't you? Because you've got people coming in and out who want that user experience and they want all the technology. They want good 5G, they want good Wi-Fi, they want security. But you've also got that challenge that you could have bad guys trying to get on or off planes and then planes trying to not bump into each other. Um, what are some of the technologies you've, you've put in place currently and particularly working with, with your partners at Dell that have helped to get to that from, I guess, old school landing airplanes and running an airport to what you've got to do today, which is really more of a smart city model in my mind. Yeah, so uh, the approach we've taken is looking at, well, let's look out to what does the future potentially look like yeah. and then bring that back to what are the services that we deliver today and we'll come up with initiatives around things that we can do to improve today, things that we can do to improve or set us up for tomorrow and then things we can do to transform tomorrow. Um, just we'll talk about that transform tomorrow piece. The, this type of technology enables an airport to change its model, potentially. So we currently orchestrate a number of services, a number of people, to facilitate the safe movement or the safe passage of travellers between destinations on behalf of an airline. And there's all this stuff that goes on in between. It's um, a heady challenge. Yeah. And then all of those different players are all acting reasonably independently and the airports, an airport plays a unique role to position themselves as an orchestrator. So is there a way that we can provide a platform or some data that allows those different players to be more connected? Right. So if we can have sensors around the airport, um, and the way we're approaching that now is we've got sensors. We've got things that we can do to improve how we operate. Let's understand what those are, what the drivers of those are, and whether we have the data at the moment. If we have the data, great. Where is it? And how do we get it into somewhere we can ingest and, and process it? If we don't have it, does someone else have it? Let's get access to it. And if no one has it, how do we capture it? Which we then come to, well, we need some sensors or we need to connect devices. Um, real life use for that is we know we have forecasts of passenger flows. We know how many people we're expecting to come through. And traditionally, the way we've handled that is quite reactive. So this is what we're expecting to happen. And if we get a phone call saying that's not what's happening, we'll respond. Leveraging various data sources, IoT, we've created a data platform and produced a view using machine learning to say, freeway to runway, this is what's going on with travellers. If there is an incident on the freeway, for example, that feeds into the system and alerts our integrated operations team that there's been an incident on the freeway that is likely to create this pain point for you. Yeah contact Border Force or, or the airline and tell them to expect the peak to move. So you've got this never-ending flow-on effect, effectively, that, you know, like the, the, the card game where you knock one and it just keeps going, right? Yeah. Um, and this is 24-7, uh, five nines at least, I'm imagining there's no downtime per se, uh, and, and you've got to deal with the people that also are inside the environment, and that is not just the consumers going through and the pilots landing airplanes, but the humans having to deliver that 24-7 and have the tools and systems. Yeah. Um, I mean... One of the notes I had here uh, around some of your uh, interest areas and focal areas um, were that uh, you, know, you, you mentioned you do a lot of travel, but you said you're an, uh, your notes said you're an avid uh, traveller with an interest in adventure and so forth. So I imagine that you're spending a lot of time in these airports as a consumer, not just the provider of technology. Mm -hmm. um, do, you, do you get the sense of the, the, the whole shift of the technology we're talking about now is reflecting in airports as well as the smart cities? I mean, smart cities are one thing is a, is a big challenge, but I think airports in many ways are kind of like a... Uh, litmus test, aren't they? Because of the enclosed sort of closed loop system, controlled system, where you can put these technologies in, trial them out, prove them under certain circumstances, and then put them to the broader world. In, in your your area of passion and being an adventurer, do you see things happening in the airports that you then see out in the real world in different senses? What does that look like in your travels? Yeah. So the smart city or digital cities, as we call it. I mean, we think it needs to be inclusive. It needs to be entrepreneurial, and it needs to be sustainable. Right? Now, if you think about it, how, how airports are kind of fulfilling that, I think every airport will be in a different index on mm -hmm. that. But if you just double click on, um, you know, our definition of digital city, is the city safe? That's the first question, right? Because without safety, you can't do anything else. 
I mean, airports by and large are pretty safe. I mean, yeah. you know, that's what. Now the question is, are they are they creating the security in a automated way where privacy of the citizens are protected, or is this a much more manual and the old way of doing security? I think that's kind of is the first mm -hmm. point. Second. Um, you know, autonomous vehicles are going to play a big role in digital cities. So now I see a lot of cleaning services and a lot of, um, you know, uh, luggage services all yeah. being autonomous, which is, which is good because that's also a very important part of it. Mm. Green energy is the third one. Fourth is engagement model from an app perspective. Just like we have eGov, do we have uh, airports have the app which, which facilitates the engagement appropriately? And, of course, the, the whole... Um, you know, emission part, you know, how do you make sure your building is is building and the infrastructure, just like you talked about from roadways to runway, how is that 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 managed? So all of those assets of what I see yeah. uh, will happen in, in the coming time. What is exciting for me is, is uh, airports probably will be the first one to become safe campus. They've always been safe campus. We'll continue to evolve that. But the next generation of autonomy, whether it's a you walk into a check-in counter and you know you don't need to bring out your passport. Your facial recognition tells you where you're going and what you need to be. And these are the things that will evolve more and more. Mm -hmm. It will make travel more secure, but also much more convenient. Um, and I think the, the, this is, as a, as a consumer, um, you know, I don't lose my luggage very often because I don't check in that often, <laughs> but I know <laughs> that this is the probably the biggest pain that people hear about. And there is also a lot of new technologies that are coming in from an IoT perspective into that as well. I imagine uh, the amount of hours you spend there, you're probably beyond platinum and titanium levels that your baggage is probably tagged, do not lose. Can I tell you a <laughs> funny story? I actually, when I was graduating from the school, I thought I wanted to go, you know, my, my, my grad work was in operations research and management science, which is all about optimization. And Airline industry is the biggest use case of that. Right. You know, how do you get the yield up? And so all the computer modeling is what I focused on. I wanted to work for United. And oh, wow. now, you know, and, and it didn't happen, but I thank God it didn't happen because now I end up actually providing technology solutions to the airlines and the airports uh, in a significant way. But, uh, but I think it gets a little tiring for me now, you know, in the sense I, <laughs> I wanted to join United <laughs> because you can travel often, but now I'm like, okay, maybe this is too much travel, you know? There is such a thing as too much flying. Yeah. Uh, now, you mentioned uh, some of the things that were happening around security and particularly facial recognition. I know that I had a note here that you're passionate about the whole emerging markets challenge, and you actually played a, a pivotal role in expanding the company's presence in Greater China. And in fact, you were honored with uh, Magnolia Gold Award, I believe, uh, recently. Congratulations. Uh, for the contribution to the city of Shanghai, one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, Ten odd million people more in that one city than a whole nation of Australia. Um, that was fantastic. And, and I believe also you were awarded uh, as part of CNBC's uh, China's Business, Business Leader Awards and CEO of the Year in uh, IT from Bloomberg. Amazing. Given all of that, you know a lot about the China region. You've seen the sorts of things you're talking about with regard to facial recognition. We can get on and off a train without, uh, in certain cities, not all cities, but they're rolling that. You can get on and off the bus, on and off the train with facial recognition. Are we getting close to that in other parts of the world? I mean, I know yeah. China's a very unique use case and, and, and situation because of the, the level of control that the government has and in certain systems they can just roll them out. Uh, are we likely to see that in, in uh, other regions around, not just Southeast Asia, but parts of the world, particularly Australia, uh, not just from the technology challenge, but maybe just the cultural shift that's going to happen with that, do you think? Yeah. So, in general, surveillance is despised by pretty much everyone I talked about. Nobody would like to be, you know, uh, under surveillance of sure. any kind, yeah. right? Um, so this is where, when we talk about safe city, we basically said it has to protect the privacy. It has to create a scenario where I'm not working for a state where I'm under observation without, you know, without any without any repercussions, right? Yeah. In the recourse. So, so the solutions that we have built is basically like, for example, in, in one use case scenario in Germany, they said all we can store is a 30 seconds of video. Okay. After that, we have to remove it. And if I need to store some for someone longer than that, I must have a court order. And that too, if I store that person's video, everyone else should be blurred in that, right? So these are the, these are the balancing acts that needs to yeah. come in. You know, I mean, you know, 
China has 100 plus million smart cameras today, about to become 200 plus. So, you know, I mean, there's everyday news come out where how they will use the surveillance for different ways, you know, social capital or your ability to do certain things or even some cases of whether you can send your kids to the school or not. Depends on how well you, uh, you, you, yeah. I just think that's, that's that, 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 that will not work anywhere else outside of China. You know, just, that's just the way it is. So we have to find a balance where individuals and citizens' privacy is protected um, while the, the uh, community's safety is improved. At the end of the day, every police officer or every police commissioner I meet, they say, I need a situational awareness. At any given point of time, I need to know what's happened. Mm -hmm. In fact, I mean, I would love to ask, you know, look as well, how he thinks his situational awareness is. But any given point of time, yeah. if you are trusted with the responsibility of running a city, keeping a city safe, you must have a situational awareness. So you do need eyes and ears, which are increasingly become digital. But at the same time, citizens should not feel like that they are under surveillance all no the time. Big brother, right? That's right. So, but, uh, so that like finding that balance yeah. is exactly the solution that we have brought about, that you say cities and the country's laws must be protected, that, that enhances the, the privacy for the citizens and still create the community's safety and security. Well, I, was going to, I was going to quickly come to you, Luke, on that, because I, I like that idea of the, the German version where they essentially had the Snapchat effect of they can get some video process it and get rid of it. You recently led uh, an implementation of Enterprise Data Platform uh, as the foundation of, of the future of your digital transformation journey, uh, particularly introducing real-time reporting and predictive, which brings me to this very topic, right? Um, maybe walk us through what drove that in the first place, and then I'd love you to touch on some of those comments around that, that need to capture data and process it, but also have some form of lifetime where there's a right to use, but it doesn't scare people from coming to the airport. Absolutely. And, and I'll respond as well to the biometrics yeah, and, and seeing that in Australia. Um, so we instigated an initiative to build an enterprise data platform. And the way that we did that was to look at what are some of the pain, what's the pain that the business feels right now that's relevant today that we can tie back into building a platform that will set us up for the future. So it was really important to create the business case around solving a real problem today, not just setting us up for the future. Right. Um, which came to, if we can, the use cases we worked on were, we get a lot of operational reporting for situational awareness, understanding where that comes from, how long it takes to produce the reports. Is it real time or historical? And a lot of that was done historical data through manual collection. Um, so people looking at CCTV footage. So you're relying then on a person mm. to observe something happening to put it into a report. Um, so I'm sure we can do this better. And potentially human error as well. Even, yeah. you know, best effort mm -hmm. made, but at the same time we all sneeze and burp and drink coffee and yeah. miss a frame. Yeah, exactly. So we looked at that and said, well, that's a real problem and we could probably reduce the effort that people are spending trying to see everything that's going on to create a report as well as increase our, the time to receive the information. So that was use case one, um, looking at some of those operational metrics and automating the collection of data. The next one was the movement of passengers. And every time you raise that, people say, so you know where I am in the airport. <laughs> no, we don't know where you are in the airport. So we're capturing that data and it's completely anonymised. So right. we have no idea who you are, what you're doing. We just know that there is a person moving in a particular and I guess yeah, yeah. you don't really care that it's me personally, do you? What you care is if someone's running around with a sharp stick that's doing bad things. Yeah. That's, that's an incident that you have to respond to, but it's, you don't really, not, not that you don't care, but you don't need to care that it's me. I'm really just a profile of risk. Yeah. And I think this is where, uh, as you were saying, like this mm -hmm. privacy thing seems to spook people because they're used to their data being breached on you know, various social media platforms, and they think that's going to impact them elsewhere, whereas really when we're walking around the streets and being captured either in the airport or in smart cities with cameras, it's actually to our benefit, isn't mm -hmm. it? But you're doing that to protect me as a, a traveller through your airport, right? So uh, you're right. And if we talk about a potential future use case where it's relevant who the person is, uh, I was talking before about a connected ecosystem. There's all of these different partners. Um, Amit mentioned airports having applications or apps. Um, well, a lot of airlines have apps and they have a relationship directly with a customer. Right. So if we were able to provide an environment where we're giving airlines or other service providers access to relevant data that they can then use to translate into an outcome for a traveller, maybe that's useful. So 
perhaps I have a relationship with Qantas and I'm sitting in the airport and the airport knows anonymously where I am, but we're providing that data to Qantas who can then translate that into who it is. They could then say, Luke Halliday's late for a flight. Well, he's at the airport. Actually, he's in the Qantas lounge. Can someone go and grab him and send him to the plane? Um, Or he's not at the airport, so let's not delay the flight. Let's get out of here. Um, So that's a potential use case. But well, certainly in light of the fact that they, uh, they, they essentially run a lot of the infrastructure in Terminal 1 from what I understand anyway, right? So they've got a special space in your airport that I guess historically they've, they've essentially had some space that they manage and you've got to work around that handoff, don't you? Yeah, so we've... Um, you've got to fill Mel- in Melbourne Airport or, or our team, my team, manage the technology across all of the terminals except for Terminal 1. Yeah. Um, and we... It is basically isolated. We just yeah. land lease. Um, that's changing, so we're going through a process at the moment of yeah. acquiring that off Qantas and then we'll just provide a service like we do through all the other terminals. And I guess that's part of the, uh, coming back to you, I mean, I mean this is part of the, the challenge that Dell Technologies must face everywhere that as Luke has with his airport worries, you've got some you know, legacy in a non-negative sense uh, environment such as Terminal 1 where Qantas had uh, through necessity uh, ownership of the technology and then over time want to relinquish that and go back to being an airline and just deal with the gate stuff and the airplanes. Uh, but you've got to manage that transition. You've got to do it in a seamless fashion. You just can't switch it off overnight. And also you rolled out Terminal 4 and other places would have to be bolted into it, which is entirely new infrastructure. So you've got a bit of both challenges, right? But you must see this all through Southeast Asia and APJ with your remit in, in smart cities. And now the shift to sentient cities, as we're calling them, particularly as you highlight in this report leading towards uh, the connected living by 2030, that you know, connected reality, uh, connected mobility, everything networked, um, that shift from what we used to call digital cities to now sentient cities, this is not just a, a, a Boolean switch of old to new, right? This is a slow change of culture, change of behaviour, rolling out of new technologies and adopting those. How, how does that journey look like when you go from different regions, particularly given you've got a very diverse space in, in the Asia Pacific and Japan in that you've got Australia and New Zealand down the south end things, you've got China in the north end, you must see some very unique approaches to this, but also I'm keen to get your insights on what the readiness and, and preparedness is, I guess, of the, the, the cities and the nations themselves and the people that are going to have to adopt these technologies. Yeah. So, first of all, let me paint a picture of what 2030 looks like, which Please is do. part of this report. And uh, simply speaking, I think there's a lot of fancy words in the report, but if I say, will there be autonomous car? Yes, there will right. be autonomous car in 2030 that will happen. Will be used interchangeably the cyber secure cyber world and the real world, you know, and that we can interlace on top of each other. Absolutely yes. Will we have robots that will potentially act as social companion? Yes. Will we have agents and algorithms that will work on our behalf to negotiate things with so much more complex digital world that will be there? Yes. So it's kind of think about this as a yeah. personal operating system. And finally, the cities. I like that. Cities are going to move from being just smart to sentient. That means it's very similar to what, uh, what Luke was talking about, how the sensors can provide insights into what's going on at any given point of time. It's a much more controlled environment, and we can do that. But imagine doing this on a city like Shanghai, which has 26 million people and potentially in the future could, mm-hmm. be, uh, could be much larger. So that's the 2030 we're talking about. Now... Every city will work at different space. Every country is working at different space. So there's no single formula. But what I would say is the things that are common, the things we see, which companies really lead this well and which companies don't, first of all, they understand the importance of data. So they basically say, my data is sitting in silos. Today I'm working in a mainframe environment. Mm. I may have put a web interface on it, but ultimately it's siloed, 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 right? I have to go to 15 screen to kind of go input the data. Trying to create a singular data view itself today is impossible. Forget Mm -hmm. about the new data sources from IoT or, you know, variable cameras or other cameras and other things. It's impossible. They can't even just connect the data today, like you talked about your experience with enterprise class, you know, record management and others, that itself is a hard one. So if we do not transform this point of view, the data is critical and thus the infrastructure and the application framework must support the more uses of data, this is transformation is impossible. And, And some countries and some companies will be fine, 
but more or less, this is a big tsunami that is driven by the better uses of data. Uh, yeah. Sometimes things look very simple on a screen, but behind the scenes, there's a tremendous amount of data execution that is happening. But it makes it more intuitive, makes it more sticky. We call it the consumer simplicity and enterprise um, strength. So you have ultimately underneath a lot of things going on. In, in, in At the top, over the water, it looks like a fancy, beautiful duck. But underneath, there's a lot of peddling <laughs> happening. <laughs> but I, I, have a, I have a terrible analogy that I use for that. So <laughs> if we think about the foundation, so your infrastructure, your, your architecture as being the hole where you're putting the steel pylons in for building a building, and then um, things like apps and the, the stuff we know about today, just improve machine learning, we say that that's the middle of the building, and then we say creating automation and a sentient, you know, we, we know this is happening, let's make something happen as being the, the top, you're on the roof of the building. A lot of organisations spend a whole heap of time trying to build the middle of the building before they've got the bottom of the building right. and the foundation's right. Yeah. So even at the airport, we were, we were doing some projects that were really sort of uh, at the top of the building and we just didn't have the, the foundations or the right. scaffolding below it yeah. to support it, so yeah. they weren't successful. That's right. So we've had to turn around and say, let's stop, let's focus back here on get our foundations right, and then we'll pick a couple of safe, exciting, shiny things that we can do to, to really help us get that taste for digital that we want. Yeah. Um, but really focusing on we need to make sure that we have our you know, the boring stuff, make sure our infrastructure is right, yeah. make sure we have a multi-cloud environment, make sure that we understand our applications and we're giving people the tools that they need and we're capturing the data that we need and then we'll start focusing on some of these other initiatives. Well said and I think you know a lot of customers talk about you know business information systems as not being ready because it's siloed information and then of course you have big data and then you have AI but the problem is CEO will jump straight into AI and say yeah. well how are you using AI? Or, or I heard that the cloud is like this amazing new thing and cloud, we are cloud first company. Well, hang on a second. You know, I mean, I have had customers that have spent their entire IT budget yeah. in less than a quarter by declaring cloud first mindset without really having the skill set in the organization, right. without really understanding why they're doing it. Because they thought digital transformation equal to cloud. Yeah. And CEO believed that IT organization is a failure they don't want to listen to IT folks. And so IT organization was doing everything to make it fail anyway, and it bombed. Like in three months, they, they ran through their entire year's budget. Imagine being a CEO. Or, you know, there are a lot of public cases. That are I don't want to be them. Well, there's, there's plenty, plenty of sort of, well, you know, we have it today on-prem. We should just move it to the cloud. And lift and shift, mm. which doesn't work. No. And I think we've seen that over and over it's again. So yeah. Lift and shift, that. you end up, it's a good way to overspend your budget. Yeah, and then we saw this morning, we showed the framework of how do you look at the application? What's the criticality of application? How much is, should you reprovision, you know, rehost, or you should yeah. completely re-architect? You know, so you need to have that balanced view to be able to say how to get to the future, which is multi-cloud. Not just say one technology will solve all your ills. You know, ultimately it's the data but the architecture and the, and the infrastructure and the skill set and the process is all very important. Well, this, this is the challenge, isn't it? Because you know, I, was, I was reading the other day on your Dell Technologies website and, and six big topics jumped out at me when I looked at the section around the world in 2030. Future of the economy, future of work, uh, future of connected living, uh, the next era of machine-human partnerships. Uh, the, um, the divided vision of what the future is about when it talks about the sorts of things you're saying now where people go down one rabbit hole and then run out of money and they're stuck. Um, and then underpinning all that, the new era of government. Now these are six really big topics and you've covered them and there's some great research there to read and I recommend people do. But I want to get back to the five big shifts that you spoke about that were driving transformation in the future in this connected living of 2030. We've spoken broadly about the network reality that we live in. We've talked about some of the connectivity with 5G and some of the networking challenges and, and Luke, you've given some insights into kind of what you're doing in the airport there. We've talked broadly about the shift from digital cities to smart and, and sentient cities. Yeah. Two that I'd love to quickly dive back into. When you talked about, uh, I guess, algorithms and data and the agents and software that sit on top of that, we have a lot of this currently in various forms that when we go and look at a Netflix movie, it, it has machine learning recommending what, you know, other people like you watch this. Or if I'm using uh, uh, you know, a mapping app, it will help try and route me around uh, traffic and so forth. 
Um, how close are we getting to the point where we shift from applications that are sort of doing smart things independently to intelligent agents? Uh, and I know Dell Technology is doing some amazing work with both government and enterprise in this space. I'd love to get your insights, uh, I mean, if we can, on where you're seeing this shift to agents of smart in our life now, where we're not just using an app to look at movies or just a, an app to look at roads, but now we're sort of getting to the point where we could have an agent, as you said, like a, a personal relationship with that thing that, that is, is above and beyond that, seeing much more broader than single use cases. Yeah. What's happening out in that world as far as what you're doing in Dell Technologies and your role? It's, it's, it's a big topic, but let me say, I will try to explain in a way that, that, uh, that is a little bit more entertaining. I, I watch, a, we love watch, that. Watch, a, watch a movie called Great Hack, which is uh, yes. Netflix, right? And it talked about that, you know, somebody has collected 7,000 data points on me through, well, whether it's, uh, it's official or non-official, doesn't matter, but somebody has a 7,000 data points on me and they're able to say, am I predictably left or predictably right? And if I'm in the middle, how to influence me by creating custom content, right? Now, the reason it has happened is because everyone has trusted their data to so many websites, and these consolidators, like yeah. Cambridge Analytica, has consolidated the data in such an amazing way and such a nefarious way that we can't even predict the outcome of how the data get, may get used. So the problem is the whole business model of something you get for free, but you entrust your data or yeah. you leave your, 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 your fragment behind. And then these fragments in isolation may look very small, but over time, when collected together, all of a sudden they become significant predictor of who I am, what am I likely to do, and what will, how to manipulate me. Let's put it this way. It's Indeed. all about manipulation. Manipulate it as a voter or as a shopper. I don't think that model is, is the right model for the future of internet. When the digital platforms are increasing, I'll consume more services, I'll spend more time in, 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 the, in this, this digital universe. People may know which car am I in, where am I, where am I going, what am I like to shop? I mean, there is more digitization of all the society. So what is more likely in my mind is I must have a my personal agent that is trusted with the data and preferences and right. keeps that private, but it still shares enough to get what needs to get without really leaving things behind in ways that I can be manipulated. You know? I like that, like an overarching That's right. safety net that you've the, tuned, you've tweaked, you've decided what devices it's deployed on. That's right. And I imagine eventually what uh, businesses, I mean, I can imagine in that scenario that I'd have that agent able to work out and, and decide what level of trust I'm going to give, not just an airport, for example, in Luke's case, but my bank, uh, um, any other shopping experience I've got, uh, to, to track that leaking of data or potentially access to data. Yeah, and so, so there's a lot of potential models that we follow where Agent may even make a micropayment on my behalf right. to get that service because that service, if, if to be consumed free, you know, I have to leave some more data behind. I yeah. mean, how many applications you've gone on your phone where you say, I can look at your phone list or I can check your content. I'm like, why do you need my yeah. list of content? And if I say no, it just basically just stops. It basically said, no, I'm not going to give you this service. I mean, that's just ludicrous. I so, heard a hilarious joke about a Torch app that did exactly that. It wanted full access to everything. And it turned out there was an evil app that had been removed from the Google store. Right. But it was yeah. a torch app. It just turned the light on and off so I could put the key in the door. But it asked for everything. Yeah. And I, I remember looking and thinking, what the heck is that? And I started doing homework on it and there was a whole forum around how this thing was evil and was just stealing my soul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when you talk about some of that stuff, I mean, what comes to mind is we hear this phrase that data is the new oil. I think in many ways for me, um, data is not just the new oil as far as a valuable assets, the oil that keeps the cogs turning because we can't really make decisions without data, but we've got to relinquish some of it. As you mentioned, in some cases we might sign up on a free platform. I mean, if I, if I visit uh, Melbourne Airport, I'm sure when I sign up the Wi-Fi, I've got to give some information for that free service, but how much information am I willing to give in return of that value? I think someone said that if you're not paying for a product, you are invariably the product, right? Yeah. Um, well, I know we're coming to the top of the hour. Um, I've got a couple last questions for you. I mean, um, Luke, you've got some big technologies deployed in this space. As you're making this uh, move, and maybe you can just give me a quick two-minute summary on this, um, as you make this move towards sort of 
building the airport into a, a smart city and then a sentient city. What are some of the technologies you're working with Dell and Dell Technologies right now to sort of make that foundational build that you refer to with a building to get some of those foundation components in place, I guess, you know, particularly in data and security. Mm -hmm. Give us a two-minute summary on kind of what those technologies look like and what that journey's been like with Dell Technologies so far. Great, so we've defined a strategy across three horizons being internally focused, correct, get the right operating model for IT to deliver the services to the business. Horizon two being, so one is we've got the foundations in place, two is how do we optimise, use technology to optimise the way that the business operates. Horizon three being how do we now use some of these technologies that we've implemented and data we have to help our customers and other service providers optimise their own operations. Um, so to achieve that third horizon, recognise that we need to understand our application stack and how that all the applications tied back to a business capability or a business function. Right. Um, what the application does for that function, we need to make sure that we have the right infrastructure in place, a multi-cloud environment supported by, by software-defined networking so that we can be more flexible and not care so much about where does the workload sit, just have the workload sitting in, or the server sitting in the most appropriate location so that we can quickly respond to changes and needs. Yeah. And we need to have a platform that allows us to Draw that, we, we touched on before this utopia of we have one application or, or one single view of how things are operating, which is difficult. So how do we draw an extraction, a, a, a layer that says we can have as many applications as you want as long as the data is being processed through a common platform? Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we're doing with the enterprise data platform. The way we've worked with Dell on that is recognising that we're busy running an airport. That's your um, core business, right? Yeah. yeah you it, don't want to be an IT shop. No. So <laughs> we're running an airport and we're making sure it runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we have a very small window that requires a lot of coordination for any outages. So we engaged Dell Consulting to come in and help us. Let's understand our applications, help us map that back to business capabilities, help us define what should we retain, what should we retire, what should we enhance, and where the appropriate location for them is. And then help us define our infrastructure. What's, what's our, how do we make our multi-cloud strategy a reality? Uh, so we've done all of that with Dell Technologies and we've, we're implementing the multi-cloud strategy. We're migrating workloads now. We expect that to be done in May. We've already implemented the enterprise data platform and are delivering value oh, to the business through that. Fantastic. Um, and we're working through our application roadmap. Fantastic. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to hear all that because uh, I'm visiting your airport uh, more than I like to admit at the moment and uh, <laughs> I do love it and uh, there's a couple of great little hidey holes I set for a cappuccino waiting for my flight mm -hmm. uh, and I'll be thinking of all of that happening in the background and uh, thanks for making it such a successful story. Yeah, great. And it's not just it the technology. Incredible. I mean, there's so much going on in the airport in general, new mm -hmm. new facilities, etc. So yeah. it is an exciting, it is an exciting it is. airport. Now I'll be watching very, very close the next three to five years. Mm -hmm. If I can wrap up with you, uh, Amit, I, I mean, we've learned a great deal about um, the amazing uh, work that's been done in this report, which uh, we'll have the details in the description of the show for everyone to download and get access to, and it's highly recommended as a read. Uh, I, I've got three copies of it lying around my house, scribbled with notes all over it. Um, you've certainly given us some great insights on kind of how we've got here and where we need to go to next. One of the things I'd love as a final question, if I could, is I commonly get asked for this, this one-liner of what should we put on our boardroom agenda as a standing item that we need to be thinking about constantly. That's probably a bit difficult in a one-liner, but if you were to provide some, some advice or even tips around uh, what business and technology leaders like Luke should be thinking about, what should be on the, their lips and tongues every day that they need to be thinking about uh, around some of those challenges of, as you said, this is not an overnight thing, it's going to take time, there's cultural behavioural shifts. Um, any insights and tips that you sort of offer that folk might just put straight on their boardroom agendas to just keep talking about every day to get them started in this conversation? Because this is, this is an ongoing thing in my mind. So, so I, 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 don't, I haven't prepared in any way for this question, but I may give you a few one-liners. That do. kind of is, 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 has worked on me. So I'm just kind of using myself as a subject of this podcast, mm -hmm. and I will say, best way to create future, best way to predict the future is to create it. Okay. So in the sense, no matter what report you read, it's okay. It's a point of view from, mm. from best knowledge today. But doesn't mean that's what the reality is going to be. That's, I think, is a, is, a, is, a, is a first point, I would say. The second, second point, I would say, is there is no substitute for hard work. People thought digital is all about, you know, it happens overnight. It's uh, simple. It's easy. 
it is ultimately behind the scenes. It's a lot of hard work. Security, yeah. digital security still matters. You know, enterprise data architect is still, architecture still matters. You know, application, you know, AI is not going to create, you know, the entire stack for you. You have to go do it. So the it's people, nice bullet, right? <laughs> people matter, you yeah. know, and so you must make sure that the people, process, and technology are working together. I think that's the second tagline I'll give you. Just don't think just technology, don't think just the process, people also will be very, very important part. Oh, and the last piece, last piece I would say is, is, is uh, future is here and now. You know, get on with it. The, it doesn't matter where you are. If you do not get on this, you know, you're going to be further, further behind. This is an exponential curve. That means it is going to, today is the slowest day for the rest of our lives. That's right. just, that is just the way it is. Yeah. And which means that if I say, oh, today it feels so fast, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, tomorrow it will be faster. Tomorrow it will be a new set of challenges. You must get on with it. You must believe in this. And this is, this is a brave new world. And it's an exciting world. I talked about a lot of riches to be had in this industry, but I would also say there's a lot of disruption also happening as well. In one of our surveys, 30% of CIOs said their product and services will not be relevant or their business model will not be relevant in, in five years from now. Right. So intuitively, 30% of companies think at this pace they will be irrelevant within five years. That's a scary thought. If they don't make changes. If they don't make changes. Yeah. So on one hand, you have a lot of opportunity. On the other hand, you have a lot of challenges. I think the best way to say this is, is a Chinese word called Weiji. Oh, yes. And Weiji is, is all about, <laughs> it's, it's about danger. But the danger is you split the word into two. It's about crisis and it's an opportunity. That's what danger is. Danger means it's a crisis, but it's also an opportunity. So we are in that danger stage but it's an opportunity as well. And future is here and now, let's get on with it together. Wow, that's an awesome wrap up. Well, Luke Halliday, uh, thank you so much for the insights, uh, both into yourself and your role as CIO of Melbourne Airport and what's happening in your world and particularly the transition to becoming effectively a sentient city over time and congratulations on some of the amazing things you've done recently. Uh, and Amit, uh, Mina, the, um, the amazing insights you've shared have just been blowing my mind. We could talk for two days on this, um, but I will definitely be watching uh, uh, not just uh, what you're doing around the challenge of heading up Dell Technologies in Asia-Pacific and Japan, but certainly the, the pivot now to bringing global digital cities into our daily lives, because I think uh, all of these things you're talking about now are, as you said, they're here and now. They're happening. We, we can't wait for them. Uh, and in many cases, if we wait, they, they run into us and run us over. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to see you both, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on the show again soon in the future. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you.